I'm Brittany Wilson. I'm Nia Wasink, and you're listening to The The Nonprofit Nonprofit Reframe. Because we know that nonprofits and their staff are undervalued, under-resourced, and unrelenting. Welcome back to The Nonprofit Reframe. Happy Monday, folks. Uh, We are coming to you on Monday, March 15, to be released on the 22nd. Uh, so this is the first working day since Daylight Savings. How are you feeling? Yeah, I'm so glad that you gave me the heads up <laughs> the <laughs> last time we recorded. Um, otherwise, I would not have been prepared. And um, it's always funny, just one hour, and yet it'll make such a big difference in the evening. The evening, but also this morning. <laughs> Yeah, I haven't, I've been quote unquote sleeping in, yeah. which just really means I haven't shifted my schedule because I'm also staying up late and then sleeping in. I tried to go to bed early, only like half worked. So I am on the Monday morning struggle train. But that's okay because we are completely snowed in. That's true. Where would I go if I wanted to? Nowhere. Nothing's open. mm how did the storm treat you? Uh, better than it treated you, <laughs> which we'll get to in a minute. But for those of you listening, um, we had a huge blizzard come through Longmont. Not as huge as we had hoped. Um, the early predictions were four feet. And needless to say, that did not happen. But it was still pretty remarkable. High winds. Um, My house is on a corner, so we don't have a house blocking that wind. Mm. And it was just howling um, at night. And then so lots of blowing snow and snow drifts. And I don't know. Did we ever get a final number? It's over... 18 inches, right? Yeah. Longmont was 19-ish, depending on where you were getting it. Um, I heard on the news this morning, though, that the Denver totals put this as the fourth largest snowstorm in recorded history for Denver. Really? Yeah. Who knew? Is that within like a given period of time? Recorded history. Recorded history. So I was talking to my dad last night, and he took it upon himself to look up some fun facts as well. What a dad. And <laughs> I know. <laughs> and he was like, did you know um, that the largest snowfall in Colorado history in a 24-hour period happened at Silver Lake, mm. and it was somewhere between 71 and 75 inches? Holy shit. In 24 hours. I can't even imagine what that looks like coming. I mean, that's like more than two inches an hour. Yes. How? Wow. He also told me, and don't, I'm, I'm not a hundred percent on these numbers. So, but they're very close. (laughs) He also told me that the average snowfall for our area and this time of year accumulative for the season is somewhere around 36 inches and we're at like 54. Yeah when we started the storm we had like just because we got a little bit of snow on Friday I think before the real Mm -hmm. storm came that put us at the average for March and then everything we've gotten since then has put us over. So that's good for fire season. It is. I don't think it's going to be enough to get the what, 78% of the state that's in severe drought out of severe drought, but it helps. Oh. 
It helps. Yeah. It helps. Well, I think you should tell our listeners what happened over at your house. <sighs> so my husband and I live on a little cul-de-sac, just five houses. And we go out, it's probably like noon or one on Sunday, start start the shoveling. And uh, we get out and immediately realize that our next door neighbors have lost a huge spruce. Um, and it was really right on the property line between our two houses. And I kind of hated it because it blocked most of the um, the sidewalk. So when I go for walks, <gasps> I have to walk so way around. So you caused this. Could be. Uh, but normally <laughs> there's a car that parks right there. But I guess because of the snowstorm, their roommate who lives there stayed somewhere else. Otherwise, that car would have been gone. There is no way. Oh, my goodness. So that thing is down. They're still stuck in their house until it can be removed. I mean, it is like immediately across their driveway. So my husband and I are shoveling and kind of smug like, ha they lost their tree. Uh, there's karma because two hours later we lose ours. <laughs> yeah. So what was crazy is you sent me the photo of the first one and then you sent me the photo of the second one. So when I was showing Gabriel, I was like, see this one that I showed you before? See this tree right here? Right here in the corner? Now look at this picture. That tree's gone now too. <laughs> Oh, such! we had already been out. We had shaken the trees, like done what we could to get it off. And between just the heaviness of the snow and the wind, down it went. But we got super lucky. It caused really no damage. Um, Our neighbor on the other side parks outside of their garage um, most of the time. But because of the snowstorm, they had moved their car. Otherwise, we would be replacing a vintage car right now. So thankful for that. Oh, gosh. Um, Now the... The big thing is just waiting for the the chipper to come by so we can get it off our lawn. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, that was what's so remarkable about this snow event is how heavy this snow is. I mean, oh, it usually is in the springtime. We usually get a, at least one big spring storm. And um, I always say it gives Gabriel job security through the summer because of all the downed trees and having to clear all the trails because of it. But the the snow is just so heavy and oh so my wet. My back is killing today. I feel like I aged at least two decades. I'm sitting here with a heating pad right now from shoveling. It was so fucking heavy. It's the type of snow that when I see people shoveling um, – I think it's that's what causes heart attacks, this type of shoveling. Yeah. We always say, like, there's one storm a year that's always bad enough for us to be like, should we get a snowblower? Or, ah, I really wish I had taller boots. Yesterday was that. We, yeah. We come in. I There's snow all in my boots. I just sat down with a hot chocolate. And then Colin's like, we just lost the tree. So you put the wet stuff back on. You head back out. Oh, God, it was miserable. <laughs> Yeah. The kids had fun, though. They went out and played in it. We did not make a snowman. Maybe that's something that we'll do yet today. It is is perfect perfect snowman. It is. It is perfect snowman snow. But what's really fun is to make snowballs and throw them and have the dog catch them. Oh, that is fun. Yeah. Yeah. I made an accidental snow angel. Oh. (laughs) Which is what happens when the snow is so deep that you forget that there's a little wall, lose your footing, and just fall on your back in the snow. And then you're like, hell, while I'm here, let's just go ahead and wave the arms and legs and make this official. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it was an exciting weekend. Um, The grocery lines, uh, the whole lead up to it, all the hype, then the waiting, 
and waiting and waiting and waiting because nothing happened. And then finally the storm. So it, it was kind of funny. Uh, so in our last episode, we did that like pandemic reflection. And I mentioned that when everything started shutting down, I was with this board in a retreat. Well, yes. I had that same board in a retreat this Saturday. And it was the same sort of thing where we had been prepping, like, by the time we get on Zoom, we're going to be snowed in. And obviously that didn't happen because the snow got delayed. But then halfway through, the board chair is like, look, it's snowing. And I was like, oh, my God, do we have to stop this one now, too? <laughs> That's funny. Well, the difference now is that since everyone is used to working from home and or going to school from home, there's no such thing as a snow day Which anymore. Which is such a bummer. This is the perfect snow day. I know. And to have my kids now at home, on school, at home, <laughs> while working, from home. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's no reprieve. You know, that feeling that you get as a kid, I'll never forget it when your parents come in and say, there's no school today. Keep sleeping. You're like, yeah, It's the best. I know. I once uh, drained our home phone battery because I just kept redialing the school line and I took it to bed <laughs> with me. Yeah. And I woke up and I was like, our phone's out. No, Nia, just, you know, early 90s. You got to charge these things. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm really excited about our episode today. I think our listeners will be too because this is our first fully generated user content episode. We have asked and asked and asked <laughs> for you all to send us shit. And this is the first time we actually have enough for a full user episode. And I'm thrilled. Oh, it's so exciting. So this is just a disclaimer that we are always curating more content for more of these types of episodes. So if while hearing these stories, it um, inspires you to share your own, we'll say it again at the end, um, but please send them to us. We'd love to read them. And this just goes to show when you send us things, they don't just go into the abyss. They go into a folder that I maintain, and then we pull them out for moments like this. And I could not be more thrilled. Um, if you are new to the podcast, this is directly in response to our fundraising cycles series. Uh, we did five episodes on the cycle of fundraising. We told some funny stories um, and some really great stories as well. And we asked listeners to send in their own fundraising stories. And I now have four pages of content for us to go through today. Let's do it. Okay. Uh, this is a long one, so buckle up. Okay. Okay. I was new on the job in a leadership role, and my director of development had given me a list of donors to meet with. I scheduled a meeting with one major donor, a retired, rather wealthy man who was also a bit gruff. Think retired military. You got that in your image? I know I got exactly it. what she's I got talking it. about. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm picturing him right now. My first time meeting him, it became apparent that he was expecting me to hit him up, in quotes, for money. He asked me where I my... Had what? Am I allowed to make comments in the middle of it, or are we waiting until you the can. end? You I can. Mean, it's our podcast. You do what you want. Okay. Well, I just it reminds me of this donor that I had that every time I would walk around, I'd walk into the room, he'd say, everyone grab your wallets. Here comes Brittany. <laughs> God. <laughs> oh, I hate that. <laughs> All right. So this guy was expecting to be hit up for money. Yes. He asked me where my proposal was for what he should be funding. 
He also asked me why the organization hadn't pursued the child care tax credit that he had researched on our behalf and was expecting us to finalize. I knew nothing about the expected proposal or his help with the tax credit. The director of development hadn't properly prepped me uh, in our quick review of him prior to the meeting. He caught me completely off guard. I told him, quote, Bob, fake name, Bob, I just met you. I've only been with the organization for a week and wanted to get to know you. I wouldn't ask you to marry me without dating first, which is so funny. Oh! Because that's our analogy. hey I love it. hey <laughs> After making the joke, it helped ease the tension, and we went on to talk about him, his areas of interest for philanthropy, and of course, the child care tax credit, which I'd be sure to be looking up in the minute I returned to the office. The lesson learned. He already had a relationship with the organization. He had a history there and had conversations with my predecessor and the director of development. Unfortunately, that transfer of knowledge to me didn't happen, and I looked unprepared and ignorant. The poor guy had to basically reintroduce himself to the organization, now represented by me, that he had been supporting for a long time. All is well that ends well. He and I established a really good relationship, and he increased his gift starting that year. Preparing for those donor meetings and getting that history is so important so that you are ready for the conversation at hand. Ideally, these would have all been noted in a donor database, but instead they were kept in the deep recesses of the mind of the director of development and my predecessor, where they would have only been remembered had I asked the right questions. Oh my goodness. Uh, So many things are bubbling up for me right now. Mm Mm-hmm. This is a common tale. Yes. You know, we say over and over again, fundraising is about relationship, right? Mm -hmm. And I say people give to people, that they have to have uh, a passion for the mission. But at the end of the day, when they truly are giving and making an investment in the organization, it's when they get to know the people working there and they trust the people and where the money and the work that's happening and where the money's going to, how they're going to benefit from the money. And when those people leave or move on and somebody new comes in, I think it's really hard um, when, and I am 110% guilty of this, for not putting that information in a central place that people can access, like a database, um, and or if you're not able to have those sort of warm handoffs. Right. Um. You know, we always say people give to people. And so having connections to the staff and organization is really important. But there are certain causes where you are just that committed that it really doesn't matter who the people are. You are committed to that organization. And when we forget about that, when we think it really was just the the people connection and not that longstanding history, I think we lose out on some of that rich, I don't know, connection more than anything. Like with this guy, I mean, clearly he gave because he really wanted this mission to be successful. Um, the the thing it reminded me about, though, too, was, again, that database thing. Gosh, could that be more important right now? I don't think so. I was just working with a client and uh, a, a number of years back, they had an executive director who got fired. And they forgot to note some of those key connections like her mother in the database So when the new executive director, which has now been like two or three new ones since then, called this lapsed donor, the woman was basically like, I'm sorry, you fired my daughter from a job. Why would I ever give to you? Oh, gosh. Yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah. Well, I mean, I think you're right that when people obviously take pride when they have been involved with an organization for an extended period of time, that maybe even uh, lapses people's individual tenures at that organization. But that's the kind of information that needs to be shared so that when somebody new does come in and I've had this happen before or I've left an organization and then have been called by a donor who I am still in contact with who said you know the the new DD over at X organization that you left they called and left me a message and they didn't even know that I have been giving to this event for the last nine years yikes! and they were so offended that they hadn't done their research and didn't know that this person had already been involved for a really long time and so they weren't acknowledging that yikes yikes well i think um obviously we should do this for all donors but i think we forget to do it when there is some sort of like big moment of conflict like yes. a board member who leaves the board for something bad because there's this assumption that right now everybody knows about it, right? Like we're talking about it. We all know it's hush hush. Yeah. Well, at some point, all of you who know about it right now are going to be gone. <laughs> yeah. You got to put that in the database. You got to. Yes. Yes. But I do think that back to the people they give to people, that it is about building trust and relationships. And there's something to be said about if you have an amicable departure, which I've had many of those where I have left and it it wasn't on bad terms and it was just a career transition. And you offer to do that sort of warm handoff to the next person coming in it can make a big difference when you who have the relationship are saying, I vouch for this person that's coming in. Like I know that you know they're going to do a great job in this role and they are really passionate about the mission and they're going to continue with this work and doing this. That um, it just saves time. Because especially when we talk about major giving and how it you know can take 18 months to really – cultivate that big gift and how important that that continued stewardship is and when that's lost because of turnover and somebody leaves to have to start the clock all over again can be really detrimental i've seen that particularly when long time ceos or eds leave Mm -hmm. so they've been with an organization for decades and then they leave way before their um, successor is brought in and they have people that have been loyal with them for 30 years who then no longer give to the organization and there hasn't been a really appropriate introduction to the next person coming in. Yeah. I mean, some of that's natural. It's going to happen no matter mm-hmm. what. But then it takes a really long time to gain those people back. Yeah, for sure. Okay, if we spend 10 minutes on every story, we're never getting through this. <laughs> we actually have enough for five episodes. Okay. <laughs> okay, so this is a sad one. Uh-oh. They start, ooh, what about the time when the executive director asked me, the director of development, to give a PowerPoint presentation to her about why our event didn't reach its fundraising goal? I gave an earnest presentation explaining that raising more money would require a team effort. Up until then, I'd done the entire event myself with any ED or board involvement whatsoever. 
I finished, and she stared at me stony-faced and said, All I hear is you blaming other people for your inability to do your job. That was the one and only time I ever cried at work. Oh, that breaks my heart. It does, but it it also, like, it doesn't surprise me. No, not at all. Well, that's why <laughs> Develop direct, development directors leave. Yeah. I mean, that's such a, a common misconception, right? Like, if the fundraising fails, it's the development director. But she's right. Like, fundraising is genuinely a team effort. It cannot be put on one person. It will always be unsuccessful if one person is expected to carry the entire fundraising load. Absolutely. I mean, I can't believe that I don't even know what the event was, but any event that you put on solely by yourself, I mean, that's, it's too much. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm so curious if that person ended up staying. Yeah. Because I feel like um, the success of development directors is really tied to the relationship with the ED. Yeah. And that doesn't sound like a healthy relationship. No, 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 no. Which makes me think that all of their fundraising efforts are going to be subpar. Probably. Yeah. And then that also means the ED isn't engaging the board. So you don't yeah. have that added support. And that those added network connections or, you know, whatever role the board can play in, in the F event. It's... It, Without her even saying the story, just with that structure, I could say right now, that event is not going to be successful. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, I have left places for the same reason, because I once I got in and got to know the ED and realized, oh, we are on two totally different pages. I mean, we're in like two different books. We're not even <laughs> in the same book. This is never going to work out. Yeah. This is, and it's going to come down to being on my shoulders. Yep. Totally. Well, here's an interesting one about uh, board members supporting fundraising. Yay. Um, I had a pretty solid relationship with the corporate community engagement director of a major, very philanthropic company who had sponsored our annual event for several years. I touched base with her to confirm her sponsorship of that year's event, and she kept avoiding me. Finally, I got a hold of her, and she said that they would not be sponsoring the event that year at all, not reducing their sponsorship, but they were completely pulling out. The reason she gave was that it was too hard to fill the seats at the table, they were sponsoring too many events, and nobody wanted to go. I was bummed, but I didn't take no for an answer and called on one of my board members who also had a solid relationship with this person and asked her if she'd be willing to do one more solicitation to try to get that sponsorship. The board member said, absolutely no problem at all, I'm on it. She called the person from the company, got through right away, and not only got the company to sponsor the event again, but up their sponsorship by $5,000 to the next level. I tell this story to board members all the time. They sometimes have far more influence than a staff person, and peer-to-peer -peer asks work. Yeah, I mean, I have a lot of emotions around that story. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is a great example of how a board member can be helpful. Um, I would be so curious, though, like, to have such an about face to say, oh, okay, sure, we'll do it. And um, we'll not only do it, we'll increase our sponsorship. What was the driving factor? Like, was it that that board member used to work with them or has some sort of personal relationship with them? Um, 
but that's great that they were able to save it. And it's like a testament to, is that really what event sponsorships should equate to is just, can you fill a table? Well, I'm going to take the, uh, Brittany's rosy eyed glasses, um, (laughs) and say, maybe the board member was able to shift it and say, this isn't about an event. This isn't about a table. This is about the mission, which you care about. And you pulling your sponsorship is going to hurt that mission and was able to then not only get the commitment, but the increase. I hope so. Yeah, that would be great. The likelihood of that is likely. (laughs) (laughs) Or is it um, we're going to tell everybody that your company no longer supports, I don't know, saving children. I don't know what the mission is. Okay, um, shifting a bit more to peer support. I had been the director of development for an organization for a couple of years, and in that time was active in professional industry associations that allowed for networking with DODs from like-minded organizations. Shout out to AFP. Anybody wants one? One random day, I got a call from an attorney representing a wealthy donor who had been a major supporter of one of those other organizations. Because the other organization was dissolving its program that was in alignment with the donor's interest, the donor was looking for other organizations who were doing similar work. Mm -hmm. The director of development from the dissolving organization and I had met through this professional association. They had remembered me, remembered our program, and referred the donor to us. The donor ended up giving several million dollars to my organization. Holy shit. <laughs> despite my never having identified her or really cultivated her prior to that phone call. But had the that other DOD not known me, she might not have ever referred the donor to us. I always say it's the most I've ever raised by simply answering the phone. Network. Wow, that is so impressive. That's amazing. That's amazing. How great is that? And, you know, the more that we can help support each other and lift each other up mm-hmm. rather than all be vying for the same piece of pie. Yeah. I mean, that's such a great example because it was it was probably easy for the dissolving program to do the referral. But that's what I'd love to see us do all the time. Yes. Instead of trying to say, oh, donor, here's how we actually fit what you – are what you care about in your philanthropy and try to like shoehorn their values in our programs it'd be great to instead say hey look at our sister organization who's actually doing that work that's really aligned for you yep yeah that would be wonderful yeah how cool yes okay this is another long one buckle in okay We are at the beginning of a capital campaign at my organization and just finished up with the board campaign portion. During the board campaign, I've had the chance to ask for $25,000, which is $15,000 more than I've ever asked for before. Of course, this is all via Zoom because pandemic. Side note, what I found is it's actually easier to make the case for the gift because I don't have to remember everything I want to say. I just have my notes up on my computer. I hadn't thought of that. What a great, like, genius silver lining to this all. Um, It had been decided that we would do a virtual tour of our building with my ED making the case for support and me doing the ask. The plan was to ask for $25,000, the justification being a naming opportunity. So I go in and I make the ask. What I didn't realize was that the donor wanted his mom to be involved in the call. I thought he just wanted 
to show her what his interest was firsthand, but in fact, it was for another reason. After I made the ask, the donor got emotional and said that as a family, they had talked about 25000 was going to be a stretch due to personal reasons. But because this project meant so much to him, and he wanted to leave a legacy to honor his father, who had passed on many years prior, and his father's service to the community, they had spoken to his mom. His mom then spoke up and said that she was proud of all the things her son has done in the community and wanted to honor his legacy and that of her late husband's. So the least they could do is match what her son is giving. Together, they were going to give (gasps) $50,000, which is amazing. We thanked them profusely, got off the call. But the story doesn't end there, because later that evening received an email that said they were so inspired by the building tour and plans in place that they wanted to give (gasps) $100,000. It was such an amazing experience that I got to have facilitating a gift that makes a family connect Stay connected with philanthropy, our organization, and their loved ones. Oh, that just gave me goosebumps. Ugh, that's so... I mean, that's why you fundraise, right? I was just thinking that. That's why I'm in this job. For stories just like that. They... Yeah, that's what keeps you going and motivates you and inspires you. And how wonderful. I mean, I, I just love that story, too, of the family philanthropy piece. Yep. Which I think is so important and so powerful. And for a mom to see the work that their kids are doing now, I'm I'm assuming their kids are grown, obviously. <laughs> yeah. As adults. But, like, for that to be then a place for the entire family to leave a legacy, oh, I just love that. I know. That's wonderful. And to have it snowball like that, when you are not expecting it, you know, yeah. and that's really, that's really special. Yeah. She'll, she or he, whoever submitted that will remember that their entire career. Yeah. I, I think that as fundraisers, right, we all have those couple of stories that just really speak to us and make us stay in the work. Yeah. Okay. One last uh, kind of funny one. Well, and now... Now they can say they um, solicited a six-figure gift. <gasps> That's true. Yeah, to go from ten grand to a hundred grand, boom, like that. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> um, okay, so this one is just titled "Database Fails." Ugh. <laughs> database fails are always fun. Several years ago, I pulled the data incorrectly from our database for our end-of-year mailing, and we mailed a lot of records that were <laughs> cut. No, say it, say it, say it. That were marked, do not contact or deceased. Oh, no. Needless to say, I had more contact with upset people that year than I have any year in the past. Haven't made that mistake again. (laughs) Oh. Oh, it's so true, though. I mean, that do not mail. Like, you can't forget that once you pull your list... And you pull all the different segments out of it. You also have to pull out the do not mails. I'm having like a visceral reaction to that. Yes. <laughs> the deceased, that gets me. I know. Oh, I can't imagine. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh, fundraiser. I'm so sorry that you went through that. <laughs> I definitely think I've done that. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely, I have, I mean, 
I've definitely had people write nasty grams back of mm-hmm. saying, like, how do I get off your mailing list? I have tried multiple times and you keep sending me stuff. Oh, I'd be like. And eventually it's like, just take their address out. I know, so, right? so there's like no even hope of or possibility of sending to them. This one wasn't submitted, but I'm going to share it anyway. Uh, it was a client of mine and. <laughs> We were talking about an appeal they did. It was probably like really in COVID. So let's just remember like how wild that was for fundraisers, how stressful. I mean, it was stressful for everybody, but this is specifically a fundraiser story. And uh, (laughs) they had basically done a reverse pull. And it was for, I think it was a mailing. Yeah. So basically everybody who shouldn't get the mailing got it. No. Um, and then they had they did some sort of follow up to like apologize, but they they didn't do the householding. And so it went to some people and like the deceased people but not the de- deceased person's spouse. I mean it was just like error upon error. I know. <laughs> so awful. Uh or when you don't um yeah, when you don't do the household and you're sending it to, like, each individual at the house, so they're getting multiple copies. You end up with one house getting seven forms of your appeal. Yeah, and they're just absolutely enraged that you would spend donor dollars on sending that many copies. Or then they realize the personal note isn't actually all that personal. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's so true. I think about that all the time. Like, what are the odds that this personal note would be shown to somebody else? I've thought about that too. (laughs) Like after an event when I've done like a stack of thank yous and I I start with a template and I go from there. Yeah. And I usually try to do some personalization if I know them. But if I don't. Yeah. I mean, thanks for giving. Here's what you did. Your loyalty is so appreciated. (laughs) We couldn't do it without you. That's a lie. <laughs> uh, well, uh, again, big thank you to our listeners who sent all of these great stories in. Um, I think these came from four or five different people, and uh, we just could not appreciate it more. It it was fun to read through them. Um, we did get one email follow-up that said, actually, please don't tell that story. So uh, to you, don't worry. We didn't tell that story. <laughs> Oh, dun, dun, dun. Like, now I want to know what that story is. Maybe we'll give it some time. (laughs) Right. (laughs) That's what I have to do. I have to catalog my stories. And then I choose when it's an appropriate time to actually say them out loud. There was something recently that I emailed you. Oh, it was like the data behind the issue you were experiencing. And I was like, we're just going to log this away to whenever we can actually do that episode. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yep. I'm like, can't do it right now. No, nope, nope. Too fresh. Too fresh. <laughs> Let's sit on it a while. Uh, yeah. I wonder now if when people interact with me, um, well, I know it's true because it happened at my event last week when my coworker's like, this is going to end up on your podcast, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, it most definitely is. Yes. 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 Most certainly. <laughs> Well, again, thank you, listeners. We so appreciate the emails and the stories and uh, keep them coming. We'd love to have enough to do another listener episode soon. And how? where do they send them? 
How do they know? They should just know by now. <laughs> if you don't, are you even really a listener? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, email us, nonprofitreframe at gmail.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram and message us on either. And please don't forget that even if you are a fundraiser, it is still important to be a donor. So support your local nonprofits. Give and give generously. Thanks, folks. We would like to thank our sponsors. Mission Launch is a Colorado-based nonprofit consulting firm focusing on fundraising and board governance. You can learn more at missionlaunchco.com. And Jake Walker Music, who provides our theme music. You can find him at jakewalkermusic.org. Thank you so much.